Hello, everybody. This is Dwayne Newstater and Tony Tressel. And then today, our special guest on Tree Actions is none other than Todd Kramer with KTS, Kramer Tree Service. And uh, Todd, this is the Human Forestry Podcast, where uh, tree people talk about tree stuff and not just tree things, but how being part of the tree, being part of trees in the human forest, how it's affected not only our lives professionally, but how it's affected our lives personally. So uh, it's it's not a it's a it's a little different kind of tree, tree chat. So we often uh, kind of start uh, asking people how they would describe how how their seed germinated into this urban into this human forest. Yeah, I got started uh, doing tree care. Obviously, it's a family-owned and operated business, so it's kind of the same story as as many other people. Uh, I, had, I had many jobs, though, before I worked for the family business. I was a, a caddy for a long time. I worked at a grocery store. Uh, I worked at an ice cream store. I tossed, you know, newspapers in the lawns. You know, I kind of did all those things. And, like, once I started getting into high school, I just wanted more money. <laughs> and my dad's like, hey, during the summers, you can work for me full time. Like Tony yeah. and I, we were talking like 60 hours a week with overtime, you know, and, and benefits and stuff. I'm like, I'll, I'll give that a go. Plus, I was definitely one to always be outside. I was never going to I was never going to survive in a building. Right. And I graduated high school and I had enough money to I, say, I saved enough money to, to go to college, but I just wasn't feeling it. And I liked the the work during the summers and I liked, they didn't let me like do anything. I was just pure labor, you know, but observing the, the crews either working solo by pruning by themselves and or the necessary teamwork in a removal process. And back then we didn't have any tools. We had rope and chainsaw. That was all we had. But I, I just kind of liked the, the, you know, every day was a brand new challenge. Everything was different. Uh, and then once I graduated high school, I decided to go full time. But then also my father encouraged me to, to further my education. I didn't like go for a degree or anything, but I, I did take a bunch of business classes uh, at, a, at a local community college. Again, not to, not to get a degree or anything, but just to you know, have some kind of a basis of the potential future decades down the road. And then once I got into climbing, you know, I was, I know, 17 or 18. Uh, that was a very quick addiction. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and it was also extremely competitive. So there was, the way our organization was working is you, you only got opportunities to do more if you performed at a high level, whether that's raking, you know. So you're good at <laughs> raking, okay, we'll let you use a chainsaw. You get good at that, we'll let you do this. Right, right, right. Uh, that's how it was in the 80s, you know, the late 80s and then into the early 90s. That's how it all kind of got started. And, of course, I like the community. You know, later in my career, I was, you know, we got involved in trade organizations and, and more education for our company. And right. then it's like, right. man, we're, we're like all the same. Right. So so when was – so your, your first experience was, was less – it was just the tree business and that wasn't even that connected to, or your memory of it wasn't connected to uh, the competitions or the associations. It was just the family business. It was just a family business. Yeah. 
up. And once my brother and I got involved full time, my brother's one year older than me. Um, he does for the last 20 years, he does business development. But my brother's a seven time Illinois tree climbing champion, seven, seven years in a row, consecutive. Wow. That record will probably never get beaten in, a, in our <laughs> lifetimes, you know, seven right, in a right, row. Right. Interesting. Uh, yeah, then then we once we became members of trade associations, and this kind of really started when I think it was 1989, when Don Blair came to the International Tree Climate Championship, which I th- was at the Morton Arboretum, which yeah. is in our backyard. So it's literally yeah. from, where, from where I'm sitting, it's 15 minute drive. We went there to watch the competition, and we didn't know about blocks or lowering device chainsaws and rope was all we had you know that's all we were using and don blair's showing us how to footlock he's showing us these tools we bought them all and my father was like (laughs) yeah we need all this stuff you know so so let me get this straight i can put an anchor i can be smarter than the tree i can put an anchor anywhere i don't need a branch union uh so, so then our our involvement in isa TCIA, we, we became fully engulfed in that. And then still back then in the early 90s, the only way to get any kind of training was to be active in the in the tree climbing competitions. So yeah. we learned that in the very late 80s. And my father made my brother and I go. It was a, re- <laughs> it was a co- company requirement. Fall <laughs> <laughs> and told, right? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting, then, interesting. And then being a very, very competitive person, I, I really enjoyed that. Because, uh, again, that's the only place you were, at least in the, in the Chicago area, it's the only place you could learn because there was no training available. It just didn't exist. Right. Yeah. It's interesting you mentioned Don Blair. I mean, it's, he's, he comes up routinely in our podcast with the people we interview. And we actually had Don on the show. And uh, we're, we probably will have him again. He, he was, uh, I remember when I... I was talking to Don, and afterwards, we had a conversation. He said, Dwayne, you know, this is an excellent thing you're doing. He says, do you realize that one of us dies, a library burns down? Yeah, he's right. <laughs> and so he said, it's really good that, that they're, you know, and not just, like he had, he, man, the history of arboriculture that he went through was was astonishing, and, and like in, in, in true Don Blair fashion. But what, what do you relate to, like, what do you remember for, as far as your first experience with a rope and a harness and a knot? Did you, like, what what was the first thing you climbed with or on, or what, what was it like? What do you remember? Oh, I clearly remember. Um, my crew leader, you know, he was he was good at understanding people's limitations, so we started off in smaller trees, obviously, but uh, one of his things was is you have to learn how to prune before you can climb. So it was, you know, pole tools from the ground. Uh, we didn't have pole saws. We only had pole pruners. We, my, my crew leader didn't believe in, in uh, using those tools while climbing. So you, you learned how to use it from the ground, right? But then, uh, yeah, it was, a, you know, a non-locking steel snap, three-strand rope, and a 4D harness like, like everybody else. And did that for years, uh, you know, because there really wasn't any other products available that we knew of. This is long before the internet. This is long before cell phones. Yeah, we, th- that was all there was. So you, you know? did you clip the two rings like your 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 butt strap rings? Did you clip them with one snap? Yeah, no like together. Bar. Yeah, yeah. Pushing <laughs> your hips in. You can't spread your legs apart. You can't stem. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and that's where we learned how to climb though. Where we would keep our climbing. We would climb the structure more than using the rope. The rope is there to protect us. Yeah. Uh, but be, because it, when it's weighted, it pushed your hips in. We learned to climb the structure more to keep our rope a little loose. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we didn't even use <laughs> lanyards. We didn't even own a lanyard. Yeah. Interesting. You know, it's funny because a lot of people would, would be the opposite. They would have a lanyard, right? And they'd use that, but they wouldn't necessarily have the rope. I remember a guy one time, he was just out of it. Like a lanyard's all he needs and forget it. Right. And, uh, we're already in the days of having a split, split tail system or split bridge. And, and, uh, I, I showed him, I, I just took a climb, like a, a climbing system with a blade, put it around the trunk of the tree like you would if you're going to spur it. And I just had the hitch, I just clipped it to his D-ring. And I clipped the other, the lead end, the working end of his line to his other D-ring. And I said, just have a look at this. And he's like, he said, holy crap, this is like a 150-foot lanyard. I said, yeah, that's right. it. And it was yeah, all of a sudden, he was like, yeah, yeah. and that was it. He's like, just, I could, instead of I could, I, it's like, there you have it, right? So all of a sudden, it was like, he, he, that was all it took. That simple little example, by putting it to his hip D-rings, that yeah. he could say, so if I move it down here, that means, oh, I get it, right? But uh, but you were doing that with without a lanyard. You just you never did have a lanyard in the beginning. Nah, it's interesting. Yeah, we were just free climb. You know, we didn't have a throw balls. You know, we didn't have any yeah. of that stuff. So it was a ladder on the tree. Yeah. You climb up, and then you make a monkey's fist, and good luck. Yeah, yeah, because uh, yeah, yeah. we did we did have a lanterns, but we never used them because they were not user friendly. There were those uh, the floating pressics, like they'd only yeah. get down to like two feet, and they'd only go to like five feet, and the adjusters yeah. always is nowhere to be found. Yeah. So we so if we needed like if we're getting into a big removal and we got a reposition, we would just use two climbing lines. Yeah. You know? Okay. Interesting. Wow. And then eventually we, we, we saw that there was fixed prusik lanyards, you know, basically yeah. just a, a miniature moving rope climbing system. I'm like, well, yep. this is way better. Yeah, it's super simple. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was. It's still one of the plus most effective lanyard systems I think there is. You know, yeah. that's still quite commonly utilized, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Todd, I'm curious, Todd, like in – as your climbing system evolved and you got more advanced, was there like one light bulb moment or did, was it just small incremental steps over time? It was definitely small incremental steps. It was, it was first the harness. Let's get a different harness. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, and then eventually great. probably, yeah. Yeah. Well, so your hips, so you can be athletic, exactly. you know, something yeah. athletic. But by then I was already rock climbing heavily. So I started doing oh, that when I was like, okay. when I was like, 17. Uh, so I'm like, these harnesses are no good. And I would, I would just use my rock climbing harness half the time and, and yeah. modify it, you know, and they're like, you're going to kill yourself with that. Uh, yeah. Once, you know, a harness. And then of course, once the split tail came out and then the, that really opened the doors to where it made the climbing, in my opinion, significantly safer because before the split tail, we really weren't re-anchoring ourselves in the tree. We would pick out one anchor point and have to commit to it because we didn't. The only way to like retie in is untie everything and pull the other end of your rope through that branching and it just doesn't get stuck. It just so we would just take risks, you know. But we learned we learned how to climb though, okay. uh, yeah. you know, because we weren't using we, we weren't using pole saws. We'd use pole pruners for like dead tips, and if you really really had to use a pole saw, we would take a handsaw blade 
and put it in between the blade and the anvil of the pole saw. I mean, of the pruning, you know, pole, pruning pole, and then wrap the wrap the string around the handle, and now you have a pole saw. <laughs> That's a new one. I haven't heard of that one before. Yeah, but once once that split tail came out, uh, and especially terminated ropes, where you can really anchor yourself in a in a in a better way. Uh, it, it, to me, it made the work way easier and way safer. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I can totally relate. You know, I was trained to get up to your tie-in point, you know, as fast as you can. Just climb it. You, you'd, I'd have literally my climbing system clipped to my D-ring so it wasn't in the way, and up you go. And if you, you know, try not to cut anything on the way up. If it's in your way, you have to just make sure you got a good hold of things. No lanyard, nothing, and just up you go. And uh, I think now about it, you know, and it seems crazy, but, you know, it was mentioned to me. I saw it be done, and it just seemed like that was the way it was done. I didn't even view it as unsafe. Some people, I remember the odd time, some be a customer or a new person on the crew would be like, man, that doesn't, like, what if you slip or, you know, and, Huh? Uh, I don't, you know, you're not going to slip. You just hold on. <laughs> here's a here's a great quote I learned from my from my crew leader. I'll, I'll never forget this. But we're in an aerial lift, um, so this is early to mid '90s, and you know it, they only went up 50 feet, and there was this this white oak we had to prune, uh, but it was like a forest tree, so it wasn't very big, but it was very tall. And in uh -huh. Chicago, our trees don't really get very tall. You know, yeah. so, but the lift didn't go up to the first branch. So my crew leader's in the lift. I got one leg in the lift, one leg out. So like <laughs> it wasn't even powerful enough. You know, it says right on it, you know, the, the working load limits, you know, we're definitely <laughs> violating that. So we would like bounce the machine, like bounce the boom. And then we're up as high as we can and it doesn't reach. We don't have throw balls. So he's throwing my rope and he can't, he, he can't make it to the first branch. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, I'm, on the, I'm not even anchored to anything. I got one <laughs> leg in the, in the basket, right? Yeah. And he, he throws like eight or ten times, and he just looks at me and goes, well, go on then. I'm like, go on, <laughs> go on where? <laughs> like shinny up to the first branch, you know, like shinny. Yeah. It's like, yeah. get up to the first branch, and then you can put your climbing line on, you know? And I'm like, well, what if I fall? And he looked at me and laughed, and he said, no one's fallen yet. <laughs> and away I went. Right. Yeah. It's like, no one's. <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, I'm not going to be the first one. <laughs> nah, I, I shinnied right up there. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we would free climb as much as we can uh, until we got to the top of the creek. And that's why, like, even ISA in, in publications way back in the day, you know, three points of contact. That's where that yep. originated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well, I know. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite astonishing. It is. And, uh, you know, what do you think, Todd? Is that like, what, what advantage or does it give us or any, those of us that grew up through that or like our career started with that, like you made the comment already, you learned to climb the tree. Like, is there value in that or what is it different with climbers these days? Like there's, there's guys that, you know, they don't even know what double rope is. They only know SRS, right? They don't even know, Retying and redirecting hardly it matters because they just you know walk through the tree and spider web their way through it. Like, what do you think about that? Like, and how or is there a way to impart that? 
or maybe SRS kind of gives them that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think SRS and Moving Rope, they both definitely have their place. Um, you know, and just in my opinion, particularly if you want a very long career, I think you need to to include Moving Rope like often, especially right. in anything that has a lot of spread. So, like, I kind of define with with the training I do anywhere I do it, but most of it is here at Kramer Tree. You know, like some of the guys like SRS and like moving, like all the older guys prefer the moving rope, more right. traditional ways. All the young kids, it's all about the gadgets and this and that, you know, it's, a, <laughs> it's so tribal. They got to have the boots and the pants and, <laughs> you know, this, they all got to buy their own hard hats. I'm like, I'll buy you a hard hat, like the good kind. I want a Protos with the, all the, I'm like, well, I'm not buying you that, but I'll get you a cast. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but they, you know, I just tell them it's like, okay, picture your anchor point and go out thirty degrees. That's good for SRS. Anything more than that, I would go moving rope. Uh, and I, I was able, like, pretty easily to find this for them to be safer. So, like, let's say you're you're out on a long limb, like a big cottonwood or an oak tree or something, you know, and you have these yeah. very spready trees like we have up here. Yeah. And you're on you're on you're on SRS. You don't have that third point of contact. So once you're once you're coming back in on the limb, and your your rope slack, you know, slacks. It slacks from your harness. So you no longer have yeah. that balance point on your harness. With a moving right. rope, one side of that rope is slacked as you're tending it, but you still have pressure on your harness, which makes it much yeah. easier to balance. It's yeah. a third point yeah. of contact. You know. Yeah. 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 So I can prove that to them, but they're still like, oh, you old man, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I I agree. It's the strangest thing, you know. And you can you can slip, you know, slap on a, a quick type of Z rig three to one type of rad system on your on your, uh, you know. And then you know if you anticipate it in time or, but even that they it, it's funny. It's like that. It's like that some sort of geriatric attachment that 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 solves the problem you're talking about coming in from a limb, but it's like, it's too much to bother with, you know, they're just going to grunt it out. It's really odd to me how that, where that, is it just a, you think it's just a generation thing or like an old guy, young guy thing, or, or is it a lack of understanding? I think it's just a lack of understanding. And I think it's a lot of, uh, like when I train in the company, somebody who's never climbed, we're, we're going traditional. I'm going to make you use a blade hitch. Yeah. With, with with the connecting link and that's all you get and you're going to do this like in small trees though you know yeah you're yeah, gonna yeah, yeah, this, yeah you're going to do this for like a couple of months you know wow. and then the their, their co-workers always like just go to the store and buy your own gear and we'll show you how to do it and that, that usually actually happens right. uh, uh, we'll show you how to use a split tail and you know but i i make them learn i mean all you need is a rope <laughs> So I've had some of these younger climbers who were trained from YouTube University. If they don't have something, they can't, they can't do it. Right. You know, you know oh, I dropped my Presic. I, I, I can't even come to, out of the tree. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know it is. It is. It is interesting. Like how, how much value. I remember uh, I had gotten a new rope sent to me. This is probably 10 years ago. So DJ was, you know, he'd been climbing already a little bit. He'd been doing summer jobs, working at different tree companies. And, uh, you know, so this rope was here and he's like, oh man, I don't have any stuff. I said, well, you don't need anything. You can just climb with the rope. He's like, what do you mean? I said, well, you can actually, what do you mean just the rope? I said, just the rope. Well, 
It is helpful, but he's like, well, you need a harness. I said, no, yeah, actually, you can actually, you could actually kind of test it out if you had to. You could, well, how, what, he, and I was just surprised because I had never showed him and he had just had never seen it. So I, I, uh, I, you know, did the bowling on the bite and, and made the harness and long tail and closed system and like just the rope, literally nothing else. And he couldn't believe it. He, and, and he was, he was, he still thinks it's cool to this day. Like, you know, he, he likes to show it. And, and, uh, we had, we were co-teaching a rescue course. Like it would have been, he was helping me at a course maybe a month or two later. And he said, dad, show them how they can do it with just a rope. Yeah, and he wouldn't shut up about it. And, and this everyone on this crew was like, you know, there was like eight people or whatever. They're like, "What you can't? You need a rope. You need like." He said, "No, seriously." So I ended up having to do a rescue. I, you know, it was a it was a short. It wasn't hired hard or anything like that. But it was like they were like, "You literally could do it with just a rope, nothing else." And so it's not comfort isn't a feature of the technique, but you know, it actually isn't even all that bad, really. Like, with, especially with these new ropes. Yeah. The, the yeah. new ropes are pretty, pretty soft. Like I think I was using uh, Vortex at the time that I tried it on. I was just, I just that's what I was using, which is a little bit thicker and it's kind of a soft lay. And, and it actually was wasn't even that bad. I was surprised. But uh, but you know that uh, everybody we've talked to so far has made the same comment, Todd, as far as the importance or always start with the basics you know and, and it's interesting these days the basics starts with the, the the blakes nobody says put them on a taut line or put and i find it interesting because because for us that was the revolutionary one of the pivotal changes was the pulley and the blake hitch and the split but we never hear anybody saying put them on a closed system with the taut line i still <laughs> teach the taut line for the just the first day and the reason i don't there's only one reason i would teach that is because uh, let's just say something happened in your body thrusting, but you're not secured. Yeah. You can tie yeah. a taut line hitch with one hand. You can. you can tie, you can tie dress and set it while holding yourself up. You yeah. can't really do that with a blade hitch. No. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, it, but yeah. it's, it's funny. Like I was doing it. I was training one of our younger guys who's, who's a high performer, uh, but he's pretty young and I had to do a in-tree resistograph. Which uh -huh. those, that can be very difficult work positioning. Yeah, and our board certified master arborist was on the ground, and she would tell me where to where to go, where to drill, and yeah. then this one spot was like going to be really really hard, and I had ascended on a stationary rope, uh, and then was able to get to where I needed to. So like, no, you got to go over here now, and it was going to be difficult to get there, but I saw there's an anchor point just you know five six feet above it. So I just pulled up the tail of my rope and just made a monkey's fist, threw it through the union, tied a blade, yeah. you know, tied it off to my harness, tied, you know, split, you know, no split tail and just tied a blade hitch. And I only had to yeah. go like six, six or eight feet. Yeah. But to, not to be able to utilize that anchor point, it would have been really, really hard. And yeah. One of the yeah. trainees was like, so that's why you teach me that. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I just solved the problem with my rope in the, in two minutes. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I didn't need any, I didn't need a, all these, I didn't need a tool. I didn't need a snappy clippy. I didn't need a, <laughs> I didn't need something to put on Instagram. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, just needed my rope. So many climbers forget they have a whole nother rope with them. Every time they use one rope, it has two ends. Unless you're climbing on the Mobius rope, you got two ropes. Right? <laughs> it's right there. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's right there. Right there. Yeah. It's. Uh, it was funny, Don. Don uh, talked about the Instagram arborist, and uh, you know he made an sure. interesting comment, Todd. Uh, I'm curious what you think about this. Uh, his, one of his comments was that there's no, uh, like, so many people are going uh, contract. You know, these he said these guys will have like a, a few years experience. They learn, and all of a sudden they're this hired gun. You know, they're like Billy the Kid out there, or you know Butch Cassidy, and and they're they're a hired gun. And he said they're not being mentored or trained. They just, all they knew is it's basically the internet and and maybe the competitions if they're doing that. And he says you see them on YouTube or on Instagram, you know. And he says they're not very high. They're always on spurs and they're blowing off a big top. And it's like something cool. And it, he said I get there being coolness in that, but he says show me when you're, you know, on rope on three inch diameter wood on the edge of a canopy. Said that's the video I want to see. He said they, you're not really. Dude, what do you think about that? Is that like do you know what did you mention Instagram a couple times and I'm curious what you think about that? Yeah, it's, well, I, I think that's a terrible way to learn, and I don't. You know, we're so used to in our industry, well, the trades in general, we're so used to learning from experience, and I think a lot of the younger people don't have that ability to learn from experience because there is no there's no lesson plan for learning from experience, but that's right. what you do, that's what we did. Like we, we, you know, we, we fell this branch in this tree and then it bounced funny, hit the fence. We like, well, what did we, what did we do wrong? You know, we're just learning from experience. And, and I, I would, I could never be a contract climber. That seems like suicide to me, you know, especially if you're doing removals with strangers, uh, you most, most are undertrained. uh, like you guys are professional trainers, have been for years. You've trained tens of thousands of people, but how big is the industry? We haven't even, you've not even touched the surface yet. So, you know, everybody's learning from somebody else, you know. It's interesting, Todd. So, like, because is it, do you not, like, I'm obviously you, you guys wouldn't employ contract climbers and you have an established business, but is it a trend there also? Like, is it a trend you're seeing? Like, it does seem like, it's, there's a lot more guys. There's always been people starting their own businesses and so on, but it's, it seems like there's an increase in the, the nomadic, uh, hired gun these days. Yeah. That pretty much doesn't exist in the Chicago market. Is that right? Wow. Uh, I've, Interesting. I've, the only, I've been approached from people not living in the Chicago market, but they live outside the market and they're a contract climber and like, Hey, well, I'd like to come work with you guys, but they, Every offer they've given was was like they want a percentage of the sale of the job. And it's like, well, no, that's never going to happen. It's our steel. It's our insurance. It's our sales staff. It's like you're, you're going to get an hourly wage Yeah, that, that we're going to determine. You know, it'll be a high wage. Yeah. You have to provide your own insurance and all that. You know, but yeah. And they're like, no, 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 no. I, I don't want you know, it's like, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> well, it is interesting, you know, because there, I think that there, I know for myself, I guess I should speak for myself. Like I know when I started the training business, I started because I loved tree climbing and I loved tree work and I wanted to teach people how to do, do it better. So I thought, you know, and I, I had a real passion for that, but what I didn't have a passion for, or I didn't know much about was business, you know, and, and what it, you know, it took me five years to realize I was spending a dollar ten to make a buck. Yeah. And uh, there was a lot of money moving through, but it wasn't, you know, I remember the first time it really hit me 
because a consultant we had used the analogy of, uh, they tried to explain to me margins, profit margin, and the cost of doing business. Because I, I was the guy that, hey, I need a $500 saw. Well, it's a $600 job. I can pay for the saw. And, uh, and, and that was just my mentality. And I think a lot of people have that mentality. It's like, well, you're taking this much. The company's charging this, so you're taking that home. Well, they, what I was forgetting about, and I think a lot of people, it's like, well, the cost of your equipment has to be divided up over every job. The cost of your insurance, the co- just the cost of doing business, your gas. Like, there's so many things that have to be factored in that create that hourly rate that I wasn't in touch with, and I certainly wasn't doing a good job of it in the training business. And I don't think I would have done a good job of it if I'd become an arborist training. If I started a tree service, I would have gone broke doing what I love. And it took somebody with that acumen to help me. And thank goodness for my wife having the business acumen, or maybe it's just the self-preservation of a mother to figure that out. But like, how did that, do you think evolved for you and, and, and your family business? Like, and, and can you relate to that in other people and see that kind of thinking? Yeah. Like our situation, um, my father very early, like our business started in 1974. So when I went full-time in 89, there was six or eight employees. And then my father stopped doing the work and started selling, selling, selling. Yeah. And then he was smart enough to understand he wasn't that smart. Um, so we had no problem hiring consultants and lawyers and, uh, paying people to tell us what we're doing right or wrong. And that right, hasn't right. changed. That hasn't changed. And it'll be 50 years next year. We are still heavily invested in our consultants and our attorneys and accountants telling us and, you have no yeah. money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think that, you know, I think that's what the, like some of the contract climbers, because they're, they're going on, you know, they're living off of a gin and juice, so to speak, you know, it's, it's all on, on piss and vinegar, so to speak, which is, I love the excitement and the, the dynamicness of it and the independence of it. But, uh, you got to really temper that with injury insurance and, you know, liability insurance, you know, these things that sometimes you forget, oh, maybe it's, maybe it's a family or getting older that creates that sense of awareness. But, um, it, it, uh, it certainly, and it's interesting just to hear that it's not a, as prevalent uh, in the Chicago area. Maybe it's because of the, the established companies and maybe even in the presence of the, the way the industry associations have functioned in, in Chicago area or something like that. I wonder why. Yeah, like we would, we would have a hard time, you know, working with a, with a uh, contract climber for one, we have enough climbers. I'm like, well, we never have enough climbers, but we, we have enough climbers, you know. Um, but our company, uh, we're heavily promoting career. So if you're a contract climber and let's say you do get a, let's say you get a mild injury, like a, you know, a handsaw cut and you're, you're out of work for a couple of weeks, what are you going to do? But once the, the climbing will end, so what skills have you developed to, to further your career and stay in the industry? So we heavily promote, yeah, you're going to be a climber for five or six years. We'll go find another young kid to be a climber. And then you're going to move on to something else, some type of management role or, uh, you know, assisting a sales rep and then maybe becoming a sales rep or maybe helping me out. Uh, maybe you can become a train, you know, a part-time trainer and you don't have to do yeah. the labor every day. You can do something. So we're always promoting the future. So when the contract right. climbers, I just don't see a future in their own personal careers. 
Like, what are you, what are you gonna do if you get hurt? I agree with you too, Todd. They they miss that, and I think that where they're missing too is like because the trend that we see around here not it's not heavy, but like back in the day, like what would happen is you'd hire an employee, he'd work with you for three years, and he'd go start his own business, right? So now you, you're basically training your competitors, which was good or bad. It was what it was. Now they tend to just leave and like they become a subcontract climber. So they're starting their own business, but not a tree business. But I think what I'm starting to see is some of these guys, they're, they have a decent skill set, but yeah. it's not going to improve as fast as if they were the company because every time they go in the job, they're the expert. They don't get to work with people of a higher right. skill level. Yeah, consistently. Yep. Yeah. What what I see a lot of though here, not a lot, but enough that it gets aggravating. Where a, a young person comes in and they have zero experience. They maybe they worked in the green industry in some way, but they're fit. They're eager. We teach them how to climb and they're climbing alongside some of the veterans. We have some guys who are still climbing every day, but doing it for 30 years, extremely productive, right? So as they're working side by side with these people, they realize it's going to take them a very, very long time to get as competent as these veterans. So they just move on to a smaller tree care company where they're now the hero because the small tree care company learned, oh, you were trained by Kramer tree. Boom. So now they're the, now they're yeah. the big shot on campus. Now they're the big guy. Right, but they're going for less money, less benefits. We'll probably more money, but less benefits, no future. You know, n not the safety culture that we have. Right, they don't even have a road <laughs> yeah. cone out. This is what you went to, because because you're because now you're you're the you're the you're the you're the top gun. You know, it's ego. Yeah, and that's know? a that's a yeah, pattern I uh, see too. You know, and, do you think? And the way that pattern repeats is like so. They go to that. They leave Kramer Tree. They go to they they get they go from small fish big pond right to big fish small pond and then that wears off after a year or two then they go they keep moving on and then they're 15 years into their career and they've built nothing you know what i mean like they don't have uh they, they don't have the security of long-time employment with a the company they just have they're really good technicians but like you said someday the climbing ends and it just and you just can't you either can't yeah. do it anymore you don't want to do it and they find themselves and i see so many younger people falling into that trend and you try and it's like, dude, like, just trust me, hang out for another year or two. You'll see it. And they just, but it is what it is. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it almost sounds like we're talking a little bit about patience and I don't know if that's generational or not, but I don't, I don't want to, you know, bash the younger generation. I, and I don't think that's what we're doing necessarily, but it is interesting. You know, they're definitely, and are we just now the older generation that's talking about the younger generation? Like they, like they, the older generation did when we were, you know, I remember thinking I was eight feet tall and bulletproof and I'd climb anything and you'd, you know, challenge me not to. Right. But, uh, certainly not like that today. So I think part of it comes just with youth too, Rita, and the wisdom that comes with maturity you know, trying to impart that is, is, is can be a challenge. And uh, I think the internet and the amount of available information makes it a little extra challenging, I think, it seems like, you know. I think it makes it way more challenging because even I remember growing up with my skill sets, like let's just say at, at my peak of climbing was probably my mid-40s or early to mid-40s is when I was peaking at, at tree climbing. Uh, I mean, like competitive tree climbing. 
but that also went right into the actual production work. Uh, but that was a lo- that's a long go. That's 20 years of training, you know. So when I first started, it, particularly when I first started climbing, I wasn't climbing every day. I was climbing when the opportunity came up. Right. right. Produ- production was first, and safety was well. Safety was first, but you know, then it was production, and then yeah. if the opportunity was there. So it, I see. It was very very slow to go from trimming crab apples and river birches to trimming giant cottonwoods. Even though I was very fit and really willing to do it, but it was like, you're not ready for this kid. We got to let the older guys do it. You know, you you learn from the ground. But like you mentioned with technology and instant information, like back then there was none of this, you know, there was, it it was just, you watched the guy, he was the top climber. I'm going to pay attention to what he's doing. Hopefully one day I can be as good as him. Well, and and some of it, I think some of it comes down to, and I don't know what the right word is, and I, I want to say the word fame. You know, like like to be able to become the guy with the followers that has the likes that, you know, you put the cool stuff, you know, and, and then, you know, and, and nowadays you end up with an ambassadorship with some company because you got enough people looking at your page. You know, yeah, that's that, ridiculous. It's, a goal, it's literally a goal people have is to, if I can get to 10K, then I'm going to have this. It's like, holy crap. I, I, and I don't really know what to think about it, Todd. It's like, is it seems like it's here to stay, but I, I, it, there's something seems off to me about it, but maybe it's just because I'm not in that generation. I don't know, but you, you mentioned it yourself. Ridiculous. Like, I, I think it's off, too. One of the problems that I, that I have with social media is I'll see – some of these people, I'm not going to name names or anything, but they'll, they'll have, you know, 15,000 followers and yeah. they'll get, you know, all this stuff and they're one handing the chainsaw and then they're, then they're, they're like anti-establishment, you know, yeah, yeah. where it's like, I'm a hundred percent pro establishment. I think, you know, with the tree climbing championships and having rules to live by and our ANSI standards, that's what's kept me alive and my coworkers, right? Like, is, is something wrong with your other hand? I don't understand. Do you only have one hand? Mm. You know? <laughs> well, if they keep it up, they might. <laughs> yeah. But I, I just don't, I just don't quite understand that. No, I just, you know, the, the social media thing and the, and the YouTube stuff is crazy. Cause it's like, literally when you're training, you know, like you have, a, there's another trainer in the room and that's Mr. YouTube. Right. And he's sitting there. And what I tell people is there's, I mean, and there's a lot of good things on YouTube, but it should never be your first point of reference. Right. It shouldn't like it. You should learn something somewhere else from a trusted source and then maybe explore it or learn more about it on YouTube. But it shouldn't be your first point of reference. Right. You know, it's this cause you just don't know what you're getting into. Your first point of reference with YouTube should be how to change a tire. Yeah. Well, <laughs> On the yeah, stump grinder, yeah. right? You got a flat tire on the stump grinder. Let's go ahead and YouTube that one. <laughs> yeah. Let's not do work at height. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's right there. It definitely has a, an application. Uh, I just want to shift gears a little bit, Todd. And, and sure, we we started talking about the human forest, and uh, I'm I'm curious how you would uh, describe or. Your, your, your comments on how being part of the tree world and just trees in general, like, and, and being generational, how that's affected your, your, yourself personally, or even your, 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 your family, your life, like 
or do you ever make the correlation of lessons learned in the trees that you've applied to your to your own life? Yeah, you know, I, I was I didn't grow up as a tree hugging hippie, but I learned how to how to love the environment and and uh, you know work and you know when when you when you prune the same tree for twenty five years, you know you, you get. Uh, but what it really did for myself personally, but and my family is is uh, just like I have to be outside. And if you're going to be outside, uh-huh. you might the point of being outside is to be in nature. Uh, right. So I'm pretty fortunate where I live. There's tons and tons of really heavily maintained forest preserves with like crushed limestone trails, so we can go bike riding, nice. or we can go hiking, and it's a five yeah. minute drive. You know. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, and then yeah. that transferred over with the rock climbing with taking my family camping often, you know, and, yeah. uh, and then, uh, mostly myself and my son doing some climbing. My son doesn't really do that anymore. He's, he's more into being him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you mentioned, you mentioned climbing and pruning a tree that you've pruned for 25 years. Uh, you know, I, I can you describe what that like? Do you feel like there's actually like sort of a connection there, like more that's beyond just I'm here to work on this tree and it, it that it's its object? Or do you feel a sense of uh, connection, almost in a you know in a cosmic or spiritual kind of realm of sorts? Kind of like that, and kind of like almost like ownership. So I'll see like that work order come through for one, two, three Main Street. The it's up for me. It's always been American Elms or surviving American Elms. Oh, okay. And, uh, and then it's like, no, that's, that's my tree. You know, even though the tree's <laughs> big enough for two or three climbers, I'm like, nope, nope. Cause I pruned that by myself 10 years ago and I'm going to do it again. Okay. Uh, Cause it's just, I, I own that tree. That's it's Mrs. Smith's tree, but it's my tree. Right. Right. Yeah. So do you feel that the tree appreciates that? Like do you, do you sense that at all? Or is it just more like, I'm just curious. Like when you're in that, do you pause and, Think about the the life that it is, and it's like the fact that it'll probably be outlive you, seeing how it survived DUD. Yeah, for sure, and that's also a reflection of uh, tools and techniques and how we care for trees. You know, like when I first climbed this tree, we weren't using friction savers. You know, uh-huh. then we're using friction savers, and then we're using rope guides, and then we're using pulley savers, and then we're we're redirecting yeah. with textiles and not going through a branch union that's mo- where the rope is moving. You know, so it's like, man, we. I'm learning and, and the tree's thanking me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and what do you mean by that? Like, do you think, do you go and look and you, you can attest to uh, like, like, Oh man, sorry. I didn't know. I didn't have this uh, pulley saver. I didn't have this textile to use 10 years ago. And now I'm sorry. I can see what I did to you kind of thing. <laughs> uh, for sure. The, for sure. The anchor point at, at the very top center of the tree you know, where, yeah. where we, we blew, you know, you can clearly tell the growth is, wasn't there. We can tell you clearly bark is off, you know? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And then the so came it's in like, and, yeah, it's better to, so you could see like clear evidence that like not rubbing the rope over the, the bark, the thin bark is better not doing that. <laughs> yeah. You don't do that. <laughs> I mean, Shago said it 20 years ago, but you know, it's, you know, things move slow, you know. The- yeah. yeah. It's like Tony says, uh, sometimes the wheels of progress are square. Yeah. yeah. And it takes a lot of momentum to get it to roll, to move to the next step, right? Yeah, and whatever that step may be. Like, our director of operations, Paul, he's very good at this, where my father was more like, he would say, we're going to do this now, and he would expect immediate results. 
And Paul's like, let's change this. But to change this, we need to change the culture. It's going to take time. Uh, You know, like just to get, just to get people to actually use a friction saver. And and most, it's a little easier now, uh, but but back when when we were learning, right? At least my generation, Generation X, we were never told why to do anything. So that's why progression for me was very, very slow. So you you just did it my way because I said so. So like Gen X came in and started fighting authority and, you know, in questioning authority, you know, but once I was told why to do something, it usually almost always made sense and he did it immediately, you know, so then training has reversed to where now the first thing I do when I'm training is here's why. Yeah. Because here's the consequences if you don't, where I was never given the consequences. I was told you just, this is the way you do it. Yeah. I think that's, that's, that's probably the single biggest comment that, even to this day that we receive, you know, when I, when I do training and, and it's, it, it, you know, the first time I really identified with it was when I took the, the chainsaw course from Tim Ard, cause I was yep. taking the Arbor master Arbor game series. And I remember it was the course that I thought I didn't need, you know, and of all the courses I probably learned the most in was chainsaw but I wanted climbing and I wanted to learn climbing from Ken and I wanted to take rigging because everyone loves rigging. But, you know, they, I remember talking to Ken and I organized the, the Arbor Games and the Arbor Master Series under my region back in 93 or four or something. And, uh, you know, he's like, well, but you got to take chainsaws, put a three package thing. And I'm like, what? Cause I'd fallen quite a few trees at that time. I didn't, I figured I knew everything I needed to know about chainsaws. And, and that two days with Tim, but it was what, what struck me was he explained why, like, it wasn't just, here's what you do. And that, that has followed me the rest of my training career, you know, and you're, you're talking about it now. And, 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 you know, maybe that, it just, it just made me think, cause is that what YouTube is missing or is that what YouTube doesn't give or the, or Instagram? Like you just, you're not getting a lesson. You're not like you talked earlier about, there was no lesson plan. And maybe right. that's part of what the, the is problem with that model, you know? Yeah. It's funny you mentioned Tim R cause like Tim R was like the very first professional trainer I ever witnessed who I would have to say was my biggest inspiration to also become a trainer. I was, I was yep. very young, early twenties. He's, he was doing like a half a day classroom and then, and then he was going to go fell a tree or whatever. I was, yep. I was young, pretty successful in, uh, in tree climbing competitions. I'm like, well, what's this guy going to show me, you know, yep. and then he, he, he's, he's, he's going to fell this tree. And I'm like, big deal. I'd fell that tree. Also, I'd put a big rope here and a big rope here, and then it's going to go to the, to the big truck. And, yeah. uh, you know, no, nothing, I'm not impressed, Tim. And he comes out with, you know, a couple little wedges. This is a big tree though. You know, this is a, yeah. this is a big tree. Comes out and he fells this thing. I'm like, I wish I was paying attention, but just the way he was able to just, what inspired, what he, why he inspired me is that he was so good at delivering the information, but obviously yeah. clearly knew all the information. And I was like, I want to, that's a job I want. Not necessarily <laughs> the chainsaw end of it, but like just in general for the industry. So yeah, that really yeah. motivated me to to s- s- open up a book and study. Like, um, you, you have, if you want to teach, you have to have extreme. As you guys know, you have to have the content. You have to have unlock, and then yeah, also yeah. be able to perform it. Um, my personal learning style is. Uh, I, I you know obviously most tree guys are visual learners, guys and gals, you know, but. Uh, the person teaching me, uh, 
I'm not really not going to listen to them unless they know how to do it and can actually do it. Right. 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 Kind of like I was certified to be a CPR first aid instructor, uh, even a train the trainer. So I had that certification and my father was like, you can train everybody here at Kramer tree. So we'll save so much money. And then you can yeah. train people regionally, you know, we charge them yeah. to make money. So I go to the course, I take the course, I'm all good to go. I have all the certificates. I, I am a certified CPR first aid trainer time to yeah. train our, our company. And I told my, I told my father, I was like, not doing it. He's like, you, <laughs> mean, you pay thousands of dollars to do this course. I'm like, I'm not qualified. He's like, what do you mean? You're not qualified. You got the certificate. I'm like, I've never done it. I've never right. done CPR ever. Right. And, and the only thing I've done with, with uh, first aid is put a Band-Aid on somebody. Right. He's like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess a guy trying to teach driver training that doesn't know how to drive, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But then, yeah, Tim Hart, he motivated me to learn how to speak and to understand the content and how to put a, a program together and how to be able to communicate yeah. that. Uh yeah. So it took me years and years um, to, to slowly get there, you know, from the very first time, the very first time I trained, you know, which was I, and then my very first training job was, it was a classroom environment for the Illinois Arborist Association to teach whatever chapter nine in the, in the, in the workbook was, you know, climbing and safety, mm -hmm. like yeah. two hours, you know, two hours in, in the classroom. I'm like, God, oh, I've never taught in the classroom, you know, I've taught guys yeah. in the field, hands on. I'm like, how am I going to do this? I call up my buddy, Mike Dirksen. You guys know Mike very well. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah and he, was, he was, he was teaching that course down in Springfield. I'm like, well, how do you yeah. teach this course? He's like, and the, the young guys won't get it. It's like, I'll fax you the outline. <laughs> right. So he faxed me the outline, you know, which he just had handwritten. He's like, just follow yeah. this. And I'm like, awesome, Mike. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And I did that like, like three times a year, you know, and then it, it kind of grew from there to where uh, uh, I became a board member for the Illinois Arborist Association, uh, a voting yeah. board member, you know, representing the commercial arborist. And like, yeah. what do you want to do? I'm like, I want to build a tree stand so I can go speak at it for, at our annual right. conference, you know. Yeah, so they, yeah, yeah. That, that got funded. I built it. Uh, and that gave me a platform. And then it really expanded when, when Toby and Vermeer got together. Yeah. So yeah. what year, what were, that was probably the late, late nineties. Uh, would have been, yeah, it was like 98. Oh no, it would have been 2000. And it was 2000 and cause it was right around when they started the Vermeer seminars. Right. And so that was like 2005. Yeah. I think. Does that sound about right? Somewhere in that early 2000s. Uh, a little, maybe just a little before, a little before, maybe 04. Yeah, I think it was a little before that because I remember in our region with Vermeer is from the Vermeer Midwest Group, uh, which was owned by Junior Cool, and he, he has nine stores. And yeah. my father and him collaborated a lot on business stuff, particularly in the mulch area. Like everything we bring into Kramer Tree gets recycled into mulch. So he helped right. us develop the, the mulch industry around here, all this. And when, when Toby and them got together, Junior came up to us and goes, here's what we're going to do. We're going to shut down all nine stores for a day. We want you to come in and, and teach guys how to use the snappy clippies, you know, yeah. teach these guys how to use these tools. So hopefully they, they come back and buy a stumper, you know? They're, yeah. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. I'm like, uh, okay, all nine stores. He's like, yeah, in two weeks. And each store is like three, four hour drive from each one. And right, like, this, right, this right. is going to be a lot. And I'm like, I don't think I can do this by myself. I don't think I can speak for six hours a day, four days in a row by myself. And I don't think it's fair yeah. for, uh, you know, for, for your, for, for your clients. And I'm like, I'm like, I'll bring somebody with me. So I call up Mike Dirksen. Like, hey, you, want, you want to road trip this thing with me? It's going to be a lot of work. And then he's, he's like, yeah. So we did that for quite a few years. And then eventually Nats got involved. Right, Nats is right, like, right. you know, we'd like to get a piece of this action. I'm like, you can take it all. <laughs> this is a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But once I was exposed to that, so that's now tens of thousands of people, then the training really kind of took off from there to TCIA and chapter events and yeah. and then eventually private companies and then eventually consulting private companies and lots of landscape companies. Right, right. And uh, I mean, uh, Arbor Master made a bit of a, a, a move through that area as well in that time frame. They were part of that a, a little bit. Or was Illinois Arbor Association always more dynamic in its own right? Yeah, uh, Arbor Masters came through Chicago. I went to the course back in yeah, the mid yeah. '90s. Yeah, I took the course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was we had <laughs> we had Rip, we had we had Rip on the show uh, a few episodes ago, so uh, you might want to check out his his interview. It was pretty good. It was fun. We had a great time with Rip. Yeah, um, yeah I listened to it. It was good. He's he's always oh, okay. fun. He's a fun hang, no matter what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, he is. He he rips really good. And he's definitely one of my mentors. Yeah. Well, what do you think the future holds, uh, Todd? You know, you, you made some interesting comments about, you know, training just barely scratching the surface. And, you know, I know Jared's company seems to be growing strong with the Academy out in California. And, and uh, like, what do you think the future is going to hold that with, you know, you've got North American out there, you've got, you know, we're up in Canada, and you've got the Academy. I mean, I don't know what else – you know, Tim's still doing his thing. He's as active as ever. And what's yeah, the future I, training look like in arboriculture? Do you think? But what, what, give us a prediction. It's well, it's so limited. You know, like I'll I'll get asked all the time, like you know, where can I go for climber training? I'm like, well, you're looking at it. But they, they don't <laughs> they don't want to make the, the the investment of their time and their money. Uh, so like right. for every training event I do, I've probably given twenty proposals. And it, uh, okay. they're like, yeah, that's way too expensive. I'm like, uh, you're, you're defining it differently, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's, I think it's the wanting to learn. And the one thing tra training has done for me, as far as me being trained, is it, it helps guide your company on how to, how to work safely, how to be productive, and how to give that quality product to your client. Without the training, it would never happen. You'd be doing the exact same thing you were doing 15 years ago. Right. Yeah, yeah. So I don't. I think people just don't want to make the investment in training, even the investment of how to find it. Like, go to an open enrollment. Yeah. They're all over the place. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The internet. Just go find one. And those are. Yeah. Those are. Those are very reasonably priced compared to yeah. me going to your company and spending right. time with you. Right. That's expensive. But an open enrollment, sure. Maybe you got to drive six hours for a two or three day course. Go do that. Because yeah, that's yeah. actual training, where if you're going to a tree climbing competition, that's really not training. That's more of a demonstration you're observing. It's not – you're not getting professionally trained. I see. Interesting. 
Yeah. But where the future I mean, of it goes is I think it's all going machines. I think there's going to be less and less of it and less, I think there's going to be less of it. And I think there's going to be less demand for it because it's, everything's going to be a lift. You're talking climbing this specifically? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and rigging, right? The Susan lifts came around and they're, they're everywhere. People forgot how to rig. They just, they can just have one, one sling, one block, and they just constantly move it a hundred times. Instead yeah. of setting, instead of setting up, a, you know, a system first, you know, taking that half hour to set up a system, and then from there, uh, you know, just reversing ends of the rope. You know, you will work this side of the tree, keep the same anchor points. Now we do this side of the tree. Yeah, and and the uh, are you, do you think also like the the like the grapple heads and the you know the the Cenobogans and the, well even the Altex uh, all these you know they basically put a feller buncher head on the end of a crane like yeah. what's the future of that like it seems to be pretty pretty popular with the, what's the what's the one out of Italy there uh, what's that one called uh, oh I don't even know there there's a there's a few like, some with an M ones such with an M yeah yeah or something something yeah yeah that's it that's it yeah such with an M yeah. Yeah, like we we we're, we're heavily invested in equipment. We think it's great. Uh, I've done a ton of research on particularly knuckle booms with the grabby saw thingy on the end, and it's yeah, just yeah. Not, it's just not it doesn't this doesn't fit our business practice. What what we can you know you hear about oh you no longer need the climber you know you you do at least okay. you know. and then with all that experience with cranes that I have. Um, I, I think those machines are gonna they're gonna fail. Uh, there's so okay. much deflection, you know. There's and there's right. so many moving parts on the outside of the boom. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so many undertrained people um, operating them. Like you got the insurance card, you're good. Here's the keys. Good luck. Right, right. Well, they're not not really trained. So what do you what do you what do you do think it. it'll be? An overload? Is that what you think will be the biggest problem? It cycles to failure, I think. Right. Because it's Just, trains are. They're not made. I mean, they they deflect on purpose. But every time I've seen, you know, all these social media things, and that that thing is just bouncing away every time because it's because the load isn't centered over the over the end, right? So it could be to the left, right. Or to the right. So besides bending down, it's also bending right and left. Yeah. And it's it's this don't in the and there's to operate one of those. It's like you, you can't have multiple operators. Like like Tony, like your aerial lifts, like a you know. Like a bucket truck, like everybody knows how to operate the bucket truck, right? It's very quick to learn how to do it. These knuckle booms, it's that's there's a lot to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, so, so now I'm gonna make a three hundred thousand dollar investment, you know, and then only one guy can operate it. He's off for the week, and now the machine's got to sit there. Well, and that's even that's on the low end. I think that three hundred thousand. Well, I think that's where a lot of people make mistakes is when they look at tools like that, they don't think about how does it fit into their current work or business plan. You know, it's a tool and it can be used successfully, but Mm -hmm. it has a niche like anything else. And it's never going to replace a climber. Um, It might take some of the load off. And, you know, I think that I've run into some guys that do some really successful work with it and they're fine, but it's not, it's, they're different tools than like a stick boom. And I, I think where the problem comes in and I think where you'll start to see the failures and the accidents is people that get it thinking it's going to, it's the silver bullet and they can do every removal with it. And it's just not the case, you know, um, like we use one starting to it's use one more case. down here, but the, the thing is for us, the big, the big climbing removals and stuff like that, we get so underbid on that stuff 
we're not doing that type of work anyway, you know, cause we'll go in and it's a $6,000 removal. Some guy will be like, oh, I'll do it for a thousand dollars. Like, okay. I, I, you know, what do you want me to tell you? Yeah. I don't need to, yeah. I don't need to practice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, so, right, right. It's, but so what we find is that a lot of our removals tend to be a little more specialized, you know, um, so, you know, the tools can work for that, mm-hmm. but there's no silver bullet, you know, there's no, like, it doesn't, you know, what I see here is I, I don't, can't tell you how many guys I run into in the Philadelphia area. If they don't have a crane, they don't know how to do a removal. Like they don't even know how to set a block. I'm like, like, what do you do all day? Yeah, you know, right. It's like, it's, I guess it's, it has its purpose, but it's kind of funny to see it and the kind of the evolution. I think it'll swing back around. Hopefully it does literally and figuratively. Just be another yeah. tool, right? Mm-hmm. Another yeah. tool that, that gets utilized out there um, for better or worse, I guess. It depends. I think a lot of it, a lot of it, I think probably comes down to attitude, you know, and, and, and if you're looking for, yeah, I think this kind of applies to life. If you're looking for one thing to fix everything, you're 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 gonna look. You spend a lot of time looking for love in all the wrong places, and you find most of them. But <laughs> it's not, you know, there isn't one thing that fixes everything. It just isn't the way life is. And, and and you know, that's one of the things about the human forest. I think that I've, I guess, maybe getting older or whatever. But there's so many analogies in trees and tree care, you know, like even the tree, the elm you talked about that, that you feel an ownership for Todd, like what, if that tree can talk, you know, what it's experienced and what it will continue to experience and what it's, what it's undergone in a, in, in its static way of, you know, it can't slap you. It can't tell you what for, it can't say, why the hell did you do that to me? You know, it just, it just endures through your learning, you know, and it endures and, and, and you're, you're caring for it every time as good as you could, as yeah. good as you knew how to, but it's changing, right? And the tree's just, just, just allowing you to, to do that. And, and every time it's a little bit different and that's, that's, I think part of the journey or the progress of life, right? Is, is, uh, and, and, you know, maybe our job as senior members of this industry, you know, is to try to temper and convey that, that importance, you know, of, there's never one thing going to fix everything like single rope technique, like, right. like yeah. the, the grapple boom. Right. And like you said, can you tie it with one hand? I've heard people say that, you know, well, when the hell would you ever have to tie something with one hand? Well, I don't know, but it's nice to know you can. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like you were talking with, you know, what we, where we think training is going. And one of the limitations I think is that people who, you know, everybody thinks they know everything, of course. Right. But, yeah. but I think what people aren't doing is training themselves for the future. Like, huh. right. Like, okay, I'm, I'm doing this work, but I can't do it forever. So let, let me start training now to, to learn a new skill. Right. Like, right. like we were talking to Tony before doing it on, like, well, what am I doing with my time right now? Like most of my time is I'm trying to train somebody to replace me. Right. You know, that that's basically my job title right now is get somebody <laughs> to, to do your job, mm-hmm. you know? But yep. I think people are looking to like, where do I want to be five years from now? And I can get training now so that when I get that position, I'm kind of, I got my foot in the door. I have a base mm-hmm. knowledge of how to do whatever, whatever that position may be in the industry. Well, I think I, I know for myself, for a, for a time in my life, it was, I didn't think past the end of my nose or didn't plan past the end of my nose. And that that's kind of what you're talking about is having, having an idea of where you want to go and how you're going to get there. Because if you're just going day by day, 
you know, you, you, you don't know where you're going to end up if you don't have a plan and, and, and having a, that, that's, that's, uh, that's something that, I don't know. I guess at a, at a younger age, you don't think about it, but at some point that becomes evident where you need to start thinking about that sort of stuff. And, uh, yeah, I don't know I, when that transition occurs exactly, but. And I think I was lucky enough for my crew leader who taught me how to climb, who worked for us for 30 years and since retired, but even at a very young age, you know, he was like, you have the biggest opportunity at this company because you're, you, ha- you have a high school education. Nobody else did, uh, you know? You know, <laughs> so I was like, okay. He's like, you know, you, you gotta start. You gotta be thinking. It's like you gotta. You're gonna end up being smarter than me, and if you're not, that's a problem. You know, I'm like. <laughs> and then my father was very, very pro training. You know, he was very pro education. Uh, when I was 20 years old, he uh, he said, by the end of the year, you will be a certified arborist, or you will not work here. Wow. Well, you know, I I found it interesting what you said about. You're, you're right now basically training to someone else to take your job. And I remember somewhere, somehow, I can't remember who said it, but I heard, you know, basically if you leave anywhere, uh, your job or your involvement in something and, and there's nobody there that knows what you did or how to do your job, you fail, you know, there because you that, that at least that should be one of your prime directives is to, is to get at least one person up to the speed that they can do what you did. And yeah. and that, that, that otherwise, how can anything continue? Right. Exactly. Uh, it's, it's, it's not going to, going to continue right without that, that happening. And even, you know, even going back to the human forest, you know, like trees are such an example of that and community and, and, and helping the other trees, not even just trees of their own species, but, you know, they're a very communal organism, very connective organism and, and helping everybody grow in a connective fashion together, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, and instilling people in the importance of education and learning, you know, like I'm going to be training you right now, but I'm going to be learning something from you as I do this. This is how this yeah. works. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some of my biggest revelations as an arborist have come like when I started to think about what I'm saying at a training course and I sent down like, it, the way I delivered it caused me to reevaluate it in my own brain. And then that allowed me to kind of change it around. And that's why I've, I, I learned the best by teaching. And that's why I've always loved teaching so much because I learned so much from it. Yep. Yeah. I've always enjoyed it. I've always enjoyed public speaking, always enjoyed, especially that the later ends of different topics, not just cranes, not just uh, rigging, you know, like more of the leadership stuff and generation stuff. Um, that's that's the point in my life where okay this is this will have better value to uh, to other people because other people can give a crane talk just as well as I can you know well and it's I think you realize that it's just like what you've been talking about the legacy of things uh, you know it's it's the it's the old saying of you know teach teach a climber to climb and he'll climb but teach a, a climber to care for a tree and, and himself and others. And you give him a life, right? Not just a there, career. Yeah. 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 Right. It, it, that, that analogy of the fish, but applying it to an arborist. Right. And and that's, I think what you're kind of talking about because, and that, you know, what's on Maslow's hierarchy of needs talks about that as, and it's partly it is our age, you know, where 
our children and watching things, watching them move on in their life and so on, you realize it's time to give back in a different way, you know, and, and, uh, well, that's kind of the reason the podcast kind of got started as well. You know, we're just old guys talk and guys and gals, you know, it's been interesting. Uh, in this particular talk, for some reason, I've been thinking, uh, you know, we haven't had, Everyone we've been talking to are people that we know, so it's it's a generation that's a little bit outside of the scope. Tony, we need to we need to maybe uh, get another perspective of of somebody a little younger on the show. Nah, they ain't got nothing worth saying. <laughs> I am still pretty young. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty young too. <laughs> you guys are the old guys. I know, I know. Okay, Tony, you're right, right. I, I, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm dating with them. Okay. so old up there. It's funny say. though when people ask me, you know, like. Like, how there long you have you been doing this? You know, it's like, well, actually, June 1st, just a few days ago, it was that was 34 years of full-time work. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, what, what were you, 10 when you started? Like, no, I was, I was 18. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I find that's interesting, too, Todd, because I don't know what it is, but it, I find all of a sudden one day I realize there's not a lot of people that stick with a career for even 10 or more years or 15 or 20 or 25, like I'm at 30, what, like I started 87 basically in the trees. Right. So it's 30 some years as well. Like, um, why is it, I, I know it's not just in trees, but it doesn't seem as common for people to stay in a career path for this long anymore. Yeah. I agree with you there. I, I definitely see that because they get bored and want to move on. They get bored and move on. And it's like, what are you, are you working for fulfillment? Are you working for money? Uh, for me, it was both. Um, right. I loved, I loved <laughs> completely love the industry, but I did make a financial investment, uh, you know, right. of my, of my money. Like when I was married with kids and I told my wife, I'm like, we're going to loan out every penny we have and I'm going to buy you know, a, a small portion of the company going to Vegas, you know? Um, so yeah, but even if I didn't do that, I would always be in the industry just because I knew, especially as the industry grew and got more educated, there's going to be positions available, right? I'll, I'll always be able to get a job right. uh, as long as I get trained. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Well, Tony, do you have any, uh, sagely uh closing questions for for a friend here you, you always have he uh, uh todd tony comes up with a sort of a question of the day for our guests and it, they're sometimes the same but sometimes i never know what he's going to come up with so i'm, I'm curious <laughs> what he's what he's thought about for for todd for mr kramer here I don't know. Mostly the tradition is Dwayne just does this and throws me under the bus to come up with something real fast. That's the, that's the usual tradition. <laughs> of course. Of course. Of course. <laughs> I don't know. I just, yeah. uh, well, I give you a good setup. You do give me a good setup. You give me a good setup. And we, we, you know, we talked about it briefly in the course of this. You've mentioned a couple of times, you know, the involvement in the tree climbing competitions and all that. And I think, you know, I wonder what you think, what's the future of all that going on? I mean, you know, Dwayne and I, I think we came up with the analogy when the ITCC was in Washington, D.C., what was that, 2018, something, whatever, that the ITCC, as it stands now, is kind of like yeah, a big old a, tree. Yeah. And it's getting to the point where I think it's probably past its peak, yeah. you know, but it takes a while for an old tree to kind of fade off. I just wonder, have, with your involvement and your, you know, the amount of time you've spent doing it, where do, where do you think it's going ultimately? 
Yeah, I mean, it's it has definitely changed from when I started doing it. Like when I first time I competed, we did have to tie our taut line hitch with one hand for the speed climb off the ground, like five or six feet, because you had to do that once you rang the bell, because there was nobody blaming you. <laughs> right. That was right. that's what that's what the rules were, you know. And then you know things progressed and more rules, things got safer. Uh, but what I kind of see with the competitions, uh, just sim- simply the rule changes, and it's getting to me to be a little more, a little more ESPN like, like, like I'm, I'm, I'm really against the ascent event. It might, okay. just makes, just makes absolutely no sense. Nobody does this. Right. Nobody's running yeah. up a tree, right? Right. Like you, you can like mix that event with maybe uh, a throw line event at the same time or something. For you know, you gotta install a rope. And you have like three different anchor points to choose from that are predetermined. I don't know, right. like that event and bleed speed climb. You know, uh, I'd like to see more challenging masters challenges, bigger trees. I understand that'd be very, very hard for the volunteers to to be able to do that, but something a little more difficult and more surrounded yeah. or around air, air rescue, work climb, and masters challenge. <laughs> Interesting. So they, they, I guess the speed events really are like they're 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 fun to do and interesting to watch a little bit. They're they're quick as well, but they're not neat. None of them, even Footlock, was never really reflective of actual work. Like nobody ever went up as fast as they could ever. Yeah, and there's nothing that like like I mentioned like we mentioned earlier with the tree climate championship, especially back at you know back in the beginning of it. It was the only technical training was even available but what are you going to learn from you know a blade speed climb with the rock climbing holds glued onto a tree it's, it seems to be like yeah. a waste of time why don't you just take ar and make it a 10 minute event or make it a 12 minute event or make it an right, eight right, minute right, event, right. right? And, and get better at that well and there was a there was a time where people were talking about it and saga was always kind of baffled by this like why there wasn't a you know, a, a pruning event or an event that had skill with a piece, with a saw or even a chainsaw, you know, like, yeah. like the game of logging type of competitions, not, not, not so much the lumberjack event, but where, you know, they're, they're really, they're like all arborists use cutting tools and there's no, yeah. no event to measure someone's skill with that, you know, and everyone says it's too hard to do or too hard to set up, but I don't know. I, I think there, there's got to be a way to, to set that up, you know, that, that way yeah. to measure your proficiency. Armor Master kind of did that with the, uh, what was it, right. called? Arbor Games or something? I forget yeah. what he called it. Yeah, Arbor Games. It was, yeah. it was kind of like that. Uh, but yeah, those things can be involved. You know, like there could be an event as a as an arborist where, yeah, you just got to stick in the ground. You got to go fell it. And you can get You can get graded on it. Yep. I'm noticing, you know, there seems to be a subtle trend slowly starting and to emerge, like with the Jambos and the, uh, what's the other one called? And, and now that the, the thing that's happening out in Quebec, I, I, I don't think that's the same as the North Americans. Is it, there's, is that like, it sounds like that's kind of a, a new kind of regionally funded and, and the, the, the regional events that's happening at Pacific Northwest, particularly, they have like, six or eight events a year and they're they have masters and everything and they're not only two of them or well only one is the one that will qualify you to go to the internationals but there's a whole bunch of others you can go to and uh like do you think that there's a there will ever see that place where 
where there might be a whole nother, uh, you know, I, I guess there already is with Jambo and what's the other one called uh, Arbor Expo or whatever. No, uh, but you know what I mean? Like, do you think that's a future in that or has ISA got the hold on that? I think there's a future in that. Um, and I think there's some good and bads to it. Um, I've never been to a Jambo, but I've had some of my coworkers go and some are like, it's great. And some are like, it's not so good. Uh, yeah, I've heard the same thing. Cause they're, they're not as, uh, strict with rules, yeah. you know? Uh, uh, I think the more, the better though, because it in- increases the community, you know, yep. as long as everybody is going by the ANSI standards and what's practical, you know, I don't want to see these crazy rope angles because mm-hmm. you're doing that in public and now everybody says, Oh, that's okay. I we're, agree. We're, uh, you know, in, uh, a chapter event and particularly the ITCC, where you have entry tax and you have communications to the ground where somebody who's competent can verify an anchor point, you know, yeah. as a head, as a head judge of master's challenge in, in Illinois, since I retired in 2016 from competing, uh, you know, I, no, you're not leaving the ground. Right. That's, that's not a climbing anchor point. Like, why didn't you tell me earlier? I'm like, it's, that's against the rules. Read right. the book. <laughs> you know, let you do whatever you want, and I'm going to stop you before you leave the ground. But right, like the more right. those that are have competent people, the better. Right. I, th- I think it's good for the industry. Yeah. yeah. But then you, the hard part is, do you have competent volunteers? It is. That has always been, I think, it continues to be the biggest challenge. Yeah. Sure is. Sure is. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's such a great tool to drive um, education and, you know, progression in the industry. And I, too, believe that it will eventually kind of work its way out. I don't know what form it's going to look like, but I think it will change over time. And it's it it's a great tool. I look, you know, I mean, you can draw a straight line from my career through the tree climbing yeah. comps, you know, just literally a straight line. So I look forward to what they're changing. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, if I was never involved in tree climbing championships, we would not be having this conversation. Yeah, I, I, I could say that unequivocally as well. Yeah. Interesting. You know, I wonder, sometimes I wonder if there'll be, a, you know, a, a, almost like another type of group formed, potentially an association of that that's just, it's only around the practical, it, it's not, it doesn't get involved with, you know, all the other things about arboriculture, it's ultra focused on safety, the standards, doing it right. And, and the comps are maybe less frequent, but very stringent and maybe get, uh, you know, the industry itself would raise the bar on it. It's like, it's just, you got to have your shit together if you're going to not only win this, but just attend it and be part of it. And, and that there'd be a, you know, maybe a, a group of volunteers that would just, just take it to a level that has, uh, that we all maybe there's a few of us out there that wish it would have, would be done, but I don't know if any of us have the energy left to take something like that on. Yeah, and I've had conversations with ISA. Um, like years ago, they asked me to 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 chair the ITCC, right. and uh, I just had a sim- two simple questions, three simple questions for them. You know, I said, I just need let me have a look see at the job description, let me see the budget, and let me see the chain of command, the org chart. And they couldn't provide any of that. I'm like, well, I can't, right. I can't do anything. I, I need yeah. this information to make this decision. But part of that, not getting the volunteers, uh, in my, you know, it's just an opinion though. But I think you would have a much better chance of getting high quality volunteers if you can at least cover some of the travel cost. Like, yeah. you don't have to, don't have to pay them, 
even though they're yeah. technically a competent yeah. consultant. But yep. pay my airfare, please. And yep. then I'll, I'll be there all the whole time. I'll volunteer all of my time. But there's volunteering yep. time and there's volunteering resources, and they're not the same. Yep. No, I, I agree 100%. And what do you think would be the uh, – uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? The incentive or what, what could be a catalyst to make something like that kick off? You know, that, I, I'm, I, I, I have given it a lot of thought, you know, and my son is quite passionate about it because he's getting into the career climbing and he sees all these changes and he's been watching it since he was a little kid, even yeah. watching you climb. He watched you drop the pulley in Hawaii, right? And it's like, he's learned from that. And he's, he's, he's preparing for when he gets to do this, but it's changing so much. He may not ever be able to re- like, first of all, footlock's been taken away. It's gone. Like he's never going to have that chance to be the fastest at footlock. And he kind of laments that. And there's probably a few like him. So he's, he's one of the ones pushing me in this realm of saying, what's the next thing going to be where there's really going to be something that's really high level. And I just don't know how to make something like that. And I agree with you hundred percent. It's got to be, if there was cost covered, but and I think a lot of people, if they, if it didn't cost them to get there and be there, they'd probably be willing to donate their expertise to something, you know? I think so. hundred percent. Cause you know, I've always, my father's always been very much those associations, TCIA and ISA have been very good in, and IEA, Illinois Air Association, they've been very good to us as, as a company and yep. as a family as far as getting us basically trained or opportunity yep. to, to do the training. So yep, if yep, you yep. success, you know, you got to give back, but you can only give back so much for, for nothing. You know, I, you know, like, like even here in Illinois, basically Kramer Tree for the most part prunes all the trees for the competitions. We set it up. We provide the most amount of labor. We provide the bucket trucks. Davey helps a ton too, but not as much with people, you know? Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's really interesting because Tony, you, you, with when you asked the question you asked about uh, the competition being like an old tree, um, you know, I wonder how much of it is the old maintenance model. Like, are we... Maybe the ISA tree climbing competition tree has been, they haven't switched from rope on rope over the branch union and they haven't switched to multi savers. And maybe that's what we're talking about. You know, there's the model has exhausted the, the, what, what, what they've drawn too much blood from the stone of the volunteer pool that's been out there. And that's what needs to change. Maybe that's what the industry is ready for. That's an interesting way of looking at it, Todd. And, and I, I hear the same thing in, all over the place. Yeah, and I think one of the things one of the things I'd like to see change though in the competition scene and even in the in the climbing in general with all this stationary rope technique so popular, particularly for pruning, and I've seen damage to the trees, particularly particularly anchor point. Wow. Where okay, you have this rope. It's not really a static yeah. rope. It's semi-static, right? One end yeah. of it is fully loaded. This yeah. would only be this would only be a basal anchor, not a canopy anchor. Yeah, but that's I get like it. The, that's a popular thing. Just that rope stretching over that union with all the way down one side. There's damage every time. Oh, like, interesting. Like you need to put some kind of a friction saver in there. Like wow. you used to do. Like you can't have unless you're using the canopy anchor. You're 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 damaging the cambium, and Doctor Alex would not be happy. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is a very astute observation, and I, that's really cool because, you know, I have to admit, you know, I'm not – I just never have grabbed into the SRS train, 
And when I have done it, I always, I feel better with the canopy anchor because of the, the not double loading. And I know that that's a big controversy. Well, if you spread it far enough, it's not exactly double, but now it gives me even more fuel for my, my personal fire. And it hurts the tree too. Anyway, which, which it makes sense, makes sense, but I haven't actually witnessed it myself or had anyone else mentioned that before. Yeah. I've witnessed it. And just imagine this, let's say you have your rope going through your, primary anchor point and then redirected through three or four other anchor points creating all of that drag right yeah. creating a ton of friction and i've seen yeah. them do it now these these climbers are having to pull down really hard yeah on this rope with a very tight braid right yeah and there's no way you can tell me that's not damaging the tree right? yeah now you're damaging three or four unions instead that's of one the same force as tying a 200 ahead, pound log on a low, lowering line that goes through a branch union and lowering it you're you're it's the same force. It doesn't change, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I agree. I think. Right. Yeah, I think all new climbing advances should solve a problem. If they don't solve a problem, then I don't think they're advances. But that's just me being a curmudgeon. I think. It should, you know, should solve an issue. It should solve a problem. Yeah, and there's and just, there's also just yeah, they're just exactly like solve a problem. Like example being one of our anti standards says you have to have a cinching anchor point if you're going to be on a spar, right? Right. And that's just something you have to do. And I, I'm a huge fan of that. And then I, I'll see on, you know, I'll be, I'll be at a workshop, te maybe teaching this topic or teaching yeah, somebody yeah. here at work or whatever. And like my go-to is simply all our ropes at our company are, it's required to have a, a splice termination, a climbing line. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's just a company requirement. Just, just tie a bowline. And now you're going from moving rope to stationary rope and just take the tail of your rope and put it through a carabiner through the sliced eye, maybe tie a munter hitch or just hang on to it. Now you have a very good, super fast, super easy, retrievable canopy anchor that you can yeah. use stationary rope with, with the tools you yeah. already have. And yeah. there's other people will be showing me, oh, you got to get this clip or this slick pin and you got you to add all these components. You know, I'm like, why? Why do you have to add? You're just making it. This is just so you get more likes on YouTube or whatever. Oh, you invented something complicated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. Well, this has been a, a, a well, our, our clo your closing question, Tony, uh, turned into a, 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 a whole other discussion, which I think is very That's interesting. So when you throw me under the maybe, the maybe this will be the first podcast. It might be the first time we'll have to throw a uh, have a feedback mechanism and see what people's thoughts are on uh, our discussion of having a uh, what would you call it the the ultra the the tree climb ultra or something I don't know what yeah, you yeah, call yeah. it you know what I mean oh, I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, sure yeah, we'll yeah. hear about it yeah no, sure. all right sure. well um, well Todd thanks very much I appreciate yeah, all your time yeah. and, and, uh, and I know we started late. It. Yep. You're welcome very much. It was a great talk and I look forward to it.